SummerSlam is just two weeks away, and a lot happened this week in WWE, including Jeff Jarrett. Yes, Jeff Jarrett being announced as the special guest referee for the tag team title match at SummerSlam. Go figure. Dolph Ziggler seems to also be coming from the same place Jeff Jarrett is because he pops up back out of nowhere as well to attack Theory on Monday Night Raw. We're going to talk about that. Lesnar's destruction on Monday Night Raw. What Edge could be like upon his return. And yes, the possibility and even likelihood of WWE going back to TV 14 after 14 years. What does this mean? We're going to break it down right after this. Tune in to Let Me Book the Territory. It's a new wrestling podcast where smart marks A-Dub, E-Ray, B-A, and J-Mo review the week's top stories and storylines in wrestling and attempt to book out the championship feuds and storylines better than anyone else. New episodes are available every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. Again, guys, it's called Let Me Book the Territory. This is WWE superstar Drew McIntyre, and you're listening to the WWE Podcast. One that everybody wants me. You're gonna acknowledge me. Hey everybody, welcome to the weekend review. It is actually Saturday, but by the time I publish this, it's Sunday. Uh the 17th of July, 2022, and we have We've got a lot to discuss. I open the same way every week, but it's true as the the news cycle just over the last few months has just seemed to is seeming to be overwhelming in terms of content to talk about. Good for podcasting, but also just kind of mind numbing the amount of stuff in and out of the ring that's been going on in the world of pro wrestling. And we're going to dive into all of it. And and, and I will open in, in just a minute with the TV 14 thing, because if I don't talk about it, I'll forget it. A lot of times I say I'm going to talk about something at the beginning of the show, and then you'll notice by the end of it, you're like, wait a minute, he never talked about that. That's just called, I I need to talk about it in the moment, or I will forget. <laughs> so if I've done that, I apologize. Uh, so that's why I'm going to talk about it in just a second. But if you guys haven't joined me, then hey, uh, welcome to the WWE podcast. We are not affiliated with WWE, but we are somehow, and we're able to be lucky enough by the graces of the universe to obtain the WWE podcast name. And I think it's a good one because it describes about nearly everything we talk about. Yes, we cover AEW, but I'd encourage you to go ad free at patreon.com slash WWE podcast, because if you're listening to a feed with ads, why are you doing that? You can go ad free for $1. I can't get the price lower. So you can go ad free there for a dollar a month or more. There's other perks like coming on the show as well as WWE podcast.com. Go there, go VIP, and you get into the, uh, the 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 exclusive club of no ads, as well as Apple Podcasts. There's an ad-free button right on our page. So, okay, WWE is potentially going back to TV 14. I've heard actually conflicting reports on this. I've actually heard that, all oh, this is just a rumor. It was just discussed in a meeting, and it's getting blown out of proportion. All the way to major news outlets reporting on it, though, from Sports Illustrated to Bleacher Report, CBS Sports. I mean, it's, it is a big story without actually having anything happen yet. But let's play the game. I wouldn't have brought it up and we weren't going to play the game. Let's play the game that they're going to turn this TV 14. There's still a chance they don't, which will kind of be a bummer. But let's 
play the game. And, and I will be the first to say, if anyone cares and is keeping score at home, I never thought they'd do this. I've, I've actually created a few shows on this in, in years past about why they would never go back to TV 14. And it seems as if they, they could be. And there are certainly some major benefits for WWE from a business perspective of going back to this model. Not just creative. We can talk about the creative in a minute. Leaving the creative aside, which as fans is probably the most the, the part that we're most interested in is what kind of content are we going to get? Is it going to be edgy? Is it going to be the attitude area again? Like, what is it going to be? We can talk about that in a minute. From a business perspective, this is very fascinating to me because they first went to PG. WWE went to PG in July of 2008. And at the time, they came off of the Attitude Era, which started in 97, I believe, late 96, early 97, and the infamous uh, the infamous Vince McMahon proclamation that they're no longer going to insult our intelligence, which is actually exactly what they've done during the PG era uh, and, and other times as well. I mean, it's a fan. It often is impossible to not get your intelligence insulted. But since that time, Vince went from TV 14 to... Uh, 2007, which was the last year of TV 14, broke into 2008, and the product went super soft. And now, again, I'm trying to keep the creative out of it because it's hard to detach this because there's so much I want to talk about creatively. But from that perspective, I mean, you have to understand why WWE did that at the time because they knew that the Attitude Era crowd had kind of aged out of watching the product. They knew they had to create a new generation of fans. And the best way to do that is to create family-friendly content. It's something that the whole family can watch. And they knew that those who had grown up doing the, during the Attitude Era are now 10 years older, most of them in their mid-20s by 2008, and some of them starting families or will be starting families. And what's the better way to get people back into wrestling than creating, a content, creating content that is suitable for everyone in the family, to some degree, to some degree. It's still PG. Oftentimes, I'd say they they pass that uh, category, but certainly it's a it's a smart business model. On top of the fact they were trying to rebrand the WWE model as not just blood and guts. Yes, that's the name of a pay per view, and yes, that's something Vince said about AEW. I understand, but it's true that they weren't just this violent sexual company, and they were trying to again rebrand themselves as that. Also, of course, most most importantly make more money by opening themselves up to more sponsorship opportunities that are going to want to work with TVPG and not just more young adult content because you are going to inherently remove yourself from potential more potential money-making opportunities with companies that don't want to do business with somebody that is TV14. So now they're going back to it. And fast forward, right? 14 years of uh, the... Uh, the you can't see me, all that kind of soft, sometimes awful, just degrading humor, uh, at least in my mind. And not all the time. Look, the PGR provided some really good stuff. Like we got Michael's Undertaker, probably the best WrestleMania match of all time in my mind. And I, by the way, I didn't need WWE to tell me ahead of time in marketing that was going to be the best match of all time. It just happened. I'm making fun of this year's WrestleMania, by the way when they try to market that crap ahead of time. But 
we got some really good stuff in that era, guys. In 14 years, we I know that we're looking back at the PG era, especially if you came from ruthless aggression or you came from attitude. You're going to look back at the PG and you're, you're probably going to hang your, you know, put your nose up at it and go, um, the PG era was for kids. But we got some good stuff, guys. We got some really good stuff in 14 years. And in fact, if the PG era is dead in 2022, that'd be a fun podcast that you could do. You could create an entire podcast, not just an episode, but like an entire podcast on the PG era of wrestling. And, and talk about the moments because there are a lot of them. Hell, we saw Stone Cold Steve Austin return to action after 19 years and have his first match at WrestleMania in the PG era. So, I mean, I, I know that P to PG era just it, it makes me reflex like it's a stupid kids product and they did so many dumb things and they did, but it provided a lot of cool moments. Really cool moments. The Rock returned for his couple of matches at WrestleMania during those. I mean. Again, lots of good moments, so many to name, Sting, all that. Okay, but now they're back to TV 14. Let's play the game and pretend they are. So let's pretend that they switched to TV 14. It looks like they are, but uh, so what happens? Well, I think that you have to look at this from WWE's perspective. They must, uh, here's some inherent benefits. Of course, it opens up the creative. It opens up things you can do creatively that you can't do with TV PG. And they've been hinting at this by saying, you know, the S word a lot, which I didn't think was under the PG umbrella. I thought it was TV 14. And they they like to just, I don't know, for some reason, it's that S, the S word. It has been, which by the way, this show defines the S word as TV 14. So that's why we're not saying it. But I thought that that was under the TV 14 umbrella. And WWE sometimes likes to flex their muscle a little bit and say that word. It's been like a thing that like, anyway, so... Now that WWE is going to be, again, go to TV 14, well, they open up creatively, as I just said. They know they're going to have to alienate maybe part of their audience that doesn't want their kids to be in in a TV 14 environment, and understandably so. I have a young son. I would not put him in front of a TV watching wrestling if that's the case. You know, if they go to TV 14 because... They're, they're going to open up to a lot of risque storylines, more than likely. I mean, sex, violence, and language. <laughs> Those are the three big ones. I would imagine that define it as TV 14. So you're going to have more scandalous storylines. The one thing they need to be careful of, and I don't think they would ever do this, but it's like, imagine if they just like re-sexualize the women, like just like rebrand them. They just, they just like put them out. They, they just, uh, on Monday Night Raw, they have a bra and panties match. They're advertising. <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing, but it's funny, but it's not. But imagine that they just, I don't know. They have like a playboy uh, pillow fight or something. They bring back Christy Hemi and Tori Wilson to have a, a playboy pillow fight. They do away with the women's titles and bring back the, uh, the divas championship or something. Of course I wouldn't do that, but it's hilarious to think about. But I mean, I think the women of course are going to stay intact, but they'll be able to do more fun stuff. I mean, like, you know, get into more real life scenarios, use more colorful language when they need to and blood. My God, blood was something I would love to see. I mean, I got not in every match, but when it's needed blood, taking away blood as a tool from your toolbox is tough to swallow when there's, it's warranted right now. I know chair shots to the head are banned, but you can still do stuff that look at, make it looks like it's a, 
you know, a shot to the skull from a foreign op foreign object, and you're missing out by not having blood. It's a it's a very very effective and powerful tool in a story when, when it's needed. So you can do that, you know. But again, you are going to alienize part of your audience, and WWE has to realize that that they they could be negatively affecting their future by bringing in uh, the the uh, the younger not bringing in the younger crowd. Now, what they're maybe counting on is that those that grew up in the PG era, it's been 14 years that they are now coming into to, uh, young adulthood. And they're going to be, since maybe they were turned away, they didn't stick with the WWE product because it wasn't, it was so soft. And maybe some of them gravitated to AEW or just fell out of wrestling altogether are going to come back when they hear WWE's going TV 14. And they're going to decide, wait a minute. Well, oh, this is kind of more of my thing. This is what I'm watching. Hell, I'm watching, I'm, I'm into Stranger Things. I'm into what, whatever. And WWE is a much softer product, but once they go a little edgier, like maybe it brings them back and maybe that's what they're counting on. So it's really fascinating. It's fascinating if they really do this from on so many levels of, of course, the creative is the number one thing fans are thinking about. But again, if you're a business person and you're in WWE and you're looking at the financials, if you're like a, if you're an accountant in WWE, you're going to be looking at those hard numbers and you're going to be figuring out how it's going to affect those numbers, their bottom line as they should. And I think that they could bring in a lot more revenue, certainly at the beginning, more interest in the product. And even Pat McAfee brought it up this week. So it's not something that's just floating out there on the internet dirt sheets. Pat McAfee said that, you know, he wanted to say something this past week on SmackDown, but he couldn't because it's not TV 14 yet. So uh, it seems like it's headed that way. I don't think that would have been on TV if they didn't actually go that way. And I think they're also leaking things on purpose to see how the crowd, how the general uh, audience reacts. They're like, they're doing a survey on us without letting us know it's an official survey. I think that this was leaked purposefully by WWE. This is what I would do. It's smart because you're being able to get a feeling and take the temperature of the audience in person and on social media, and you'll be able to get a feel for exactly what they feel about them going back to TV 14. Yeah. Do people cheer? Do people boo? Do they think it's bad? Do they think it's good? Is this going to be great? I mean, yeah. I mean, not all the decision is based on what the fans think. Don't forget, guys, we're like pecking order like two or three in WWE's priority list. Stockholders, shareholders, and the sponsors are number one and two. Fans are three. Fans can be stockholders and shareholders, but most of us aren't. So don't forget that, guys. Just because WWE puts out bad creative doesn't necessarily mean WWE really cares a lot because as long as their bottom line ultimately looks good, yeah. If the creative is great, that's a bonus, I think, to them. But uh, so it's just going to be fascinating. I don't want to spend too much time on it. I spent way more than I thought I would. So let's talk about it when it's official. Um, you know, when they Adam Pierce it and make it official, we will have much more to say here on the the show. So, all right, um, boy, there's just so much I want to talk about it. Talk about about it does that make sense so uh before that though let's um let's get into let's get into smackdown because smackdown was an interesting show no roman reigns and yeah i know that he's there and i we all know he's there every three shows and every other pay-per-view but it's almost getting magnified by every absence he's not there now like it's not getting easier or better i'm not getting used to it in fact 
it's magnifying for me. Is it magnifying for you too? Is it magnifying for you guys? Because I, I'm just, I don't know. Every time he's not there, it seems to be a bigger and bigger problem for me, at least. So this past week on SmackDown, of course, Pat McAfee comes out and he opens the show. He did not welcome us to SmackDown. Maybe they're listening to this show and saying how stupid it is that we need to hear that every time. That's the announcer's job for the commentators at home. The commentators talking to the people at home. That's totally fine. But I think the people in attendance know where the hell they are. I think they know what you know. they spent their money on to get a ticket to go to. Anyway, I have to hit on that. But they didn't say it this week, at least on SmackDown. So let's see here. Pat McAfee, again, he kicked off the show, and he talked about the sneak attack at the hands of Corbin at Money in the Bank. Now, don't forget, Corbin didn't pick this fight. Pat McAfee did. Where else supposed to forget that? Now, McAfee didn't attack Corbin physically first, but he picked this fight. We were all supposed to forget this, <laughs> but I'm cool with it. But it's not talked about. It's it's making Corbin look like the bad guy, yet he isn't the one who just out of the blue decided to pick on an announcer, which is weird. But OK, so Pat McAfee, it was in ring running down Corbin, talking about their history, how they used to, uh, I guess, room together and that their history goes back a lot further than people even know. And I think that's a good thing to bring up. It, it adds context to this in a way that I don't think some of us knew. I can't get past the, the uh, bum ass Corbin. It, I don't hate it. I don't love it. I don't I don't think it's as catchy as Pat McAfee wants it to be. Like people aren't organically chanting it. Pat McAfee has to manufacture the chant. He has to, you know what I mean? Like it has, he has to start it for it to keep going. So it's not something that's catching on with fans. I, I don't think it's that catchy, but I don't hate it. Don't love it. I'm like a five out of 10 on it. But, uh, so he, he talks about D bag Corbin and that chant, all that. So he's trying to get people to be involved. And I understand that, but to me, it's just not catchy. Uh, but he refused. That is Corbin refused to join McAfee inside of the ring and said that he should Pat should go back to commentary and know his place. And uh, so that was pretty much it. And he showed some kind of, I think it was makeup. If it was, it was well done. Uh, Some kind of like lesions on his arm and saying he got it from sitting at the, in the chair of Pat McAfee, or he got it from the WWE fans, not the universe. Cause we're not out in space. Yeah, but anyway, so that's that pretty much ended it. And Corbin said he'll see him at SummerSlam. I actually think Pat McAfee's going to lose. The quick little hot take on that: I think Corbin's going to lose this match or win this match, and uh, Pat McAfee's going to lose. But I could change my mind. It's just I'm getting a hint that I mean Pat McAfee can't win every single match. He's got a, he just signed a multi year deal. And I'm sure they paid him very well as they should. He's one of the most interesting commentators we've had since Jim Ross, but. He is, uh, I, I think he can't win every match. It helped, It really hurts the talent. So, all right, let's see here. Then we got Liv Morgan versus Natalia. And this was a hard fought match. It was labeled as a contenders match. And as the contenders match was going on, I was thinking to myself, when's the last time that the person contending to be in the title picture didn't win a contenders match? Because I feel like, It's set up that way, not only to just make it so it's not just a boring match, right? Because they don't, they can't rely on their character depth and building because they haven't done a good job in general of that, but they have to just label a contenders match. And I'm thinking, well, 
hmm, I don't know the last time the contender lost. And the contender lost the contender's match. So, But yet, even if Natalia came out next week on SmackDown and attacked Liv, she'd be right back into the title picture. So, But that we don't talk about that, I guess. WWE doesn't acknowledge that. So I mean, the match was fine. I had no problem with the match. It was it, it was uh, had had some sloppy moments. There were some uh, sloppy moments by Liv, a couple of them, but nothing that was made me roll my eyes. Just kind of like a you know, just kind of go, uh, okay, Liv, okay, you know, like she has her moments like that where she still she still shows from an in ring perspective. She's not at the level of Bianca or Becky or Sasha. Yeah, or or Charlotte, she's just not, and that's you know that's almost not a fair comparison because you don't have to be the best in ring technician or or wrestler to hold the championship because character matters way more than that, I believe. So I'm not saying just because she's not as good in ring as those women doesn't mean that she doesn't deserve to be champion, but it's just it's clear that she's I think a, a rung below those women, and again, those are the, those are some of the best women in the world. I get it, but. Uh, after the match, Morgan made it clear that she's not intimidated by Ronda Rousey. She knows she's the underdog and intends to retain at SummerSlam. And so, yeah, I mean, Natalia is going back to irrelevancy. She's going back into the crypt, maybe with uh, Tamina when they uh, want to bring her back out or whatever. You know, that's kind of where they live. <laughs> I mean, Natalia's going to go back to Instagram and posting cat pics or something. Uh, let's see. What else do we have? Um, oh, some. I'm looking at some top moments here from McAfee that he said. He said, as soon as Corbin stepped foot in WWE, he became an insufferable D-bag that would do anything for a dollar. Um, I guess that was something that somebody noted here. I didn't, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I didn't think it was that catchy. Paul Heyman talking about uh, how the announcer, Morgan, uh, Megan Morant, Morant is doing a better job than Kayla. That was kind of funny. And Heyman was trying to get Theory on his side by still allowing him to have a Universal Championship match, but doing it on Roman Reigns' terms. And Theory, I mean, saw right through it, and of course didn't shake hands and align himself with Paul. There's absolutely no benefit to that for Theory. And uh, he also tried to get Mad Cat Moss on his side, which was very interesting. We'll talk about that match a little more later too, which is really good. So, all right. Uh, what else do we have here? We had the new day and the Viking Raiders, a segment here. Um, this was, I mean, do you guys really think I'm going to come on here and praise this? N- no, I am not going to praise this. I think it was, you know, I tweeted this out and, uh, nobody liked it. So I'm demanding anytime I tweet something, you guys, you if you're a fan of the show listening right now, you need to, for my ego, like it. Because my the, my, the definition and the value of my self-worth is based on the number of likes I get on Twitter. So I need you guys to really help me out here. So uh, what I tweeted out was this. And by the way, follow me on Twitter at wrestling underscore audio. The let's see. I said, is there any scenario in which New Day won't come out acting like 14-year-old prepubescent boys? I feel like you could light their house on fire in front of them with their family trapped inside, and they'd come out the following week throwing pancakes and doing cosplay. I'm quoting myself, end quote. (laughs) So 
It's true. I mean, New Day has gotten their ass kicked like two, three weeks in a row. Brutally beat down. Not just like a roll-up victory. Like brutally beat down by the Viking Raiders. And they come out this week like it didn't happen. And play, doing, you know, playing dress up. They are... I don't understand how people are cheering for these buffoons. How are people still cheering for this? I don't understand... <laughs> I blame the fans at this point. I I don't even blame creative. It's the fans. If the fans would turn on them, WWE, I think, would be open to to, to ending this nonsense. And it's not even just embarrassing. It's not even that I can't see. Like, Kofi Kingston's personality is one of the worst things to ever happen to WWE. Like, that's a strong statement, but I mean it. Like, Kofi Kingston and, and, and this whole New Day thing in general is one of the worst things to happen to, at least coming from somebody that's in the attitude of ruthless aggression, likes things that are real, not forced comedy, and likes to make sure that guys aren't hurting other guys. What I mean by that is this. The, the beating that the New Day took the last couple of weeks should warrant at least some kind of, not them coming out in neck braces and, you know, wheelchairs, but at least not coming out there as if, again, like nothing happened. It diminishes what the Viking Raiders are trying to do, which is establish themselves as serious tag team competitors. And when you have a team that is built on comedy or at least attempted comedy, I say that very loosely, it undermines the result of what happened the week before. And this is not the first time. In fact, the, the, the New Day has made a career out of this. No matter how bad or how vicious or how brutal of a loss they've taken in the weeks prior, it doesn't matter. Kofi Kingston loses his WWE championship after six months in, in like 10 seconds and doesn't skip a beat. You know, and it's it's that exact problem that it's not only embarrassing, it's not only it only makes me hate the New Day even more and Kofi Kingston specifically even more, but it's now as collateral damage hurting the guy's in which you are working with. So this was just gone awful. I don't have much to say about this. Um, you know, the, the, they dressed up like children. We're all supposed to laugh, say he, he, ha, ha. And the kids, you know, get a giggle out of it. But, I, I you know, TV 14 may be the best thing to ever happen to this group. Let me say that. Um, so th- this was garbage. And, you know, I, I understand that the, uh, the Viking Raiders did come out to confront New Day and beat them down for a fourth week in a row, but Jinder and Shanky stopped them, and you know the, the uh, New Day got the upper hand, and they uh, sent the Viking Raiders into retreat. That, that, that's pretty much it. So uh, let's see here. We also got backstage Kayla talking to... Boy, she's got that pronunciation down, doesn't she? Uh, and by the way, Kayla Braxton, she's... Now, she is one of the most recognized interviewers on uh, on WWE television. She's probably the most, at least, she feels the most senior at this point. But, uh, you know, and she does a nice job on TV. But, I, I, you know, her Instagram is, in, her Instagram is insufferable. I, I mean, every picture, every story is about her, uh, you know. And again, I don't know. I don't know what my point is here. <laughs> Just that I guess what we see on screen and what we see in in in, uh, in real life, I guess, can be two different things. And she comes off as the most narcissistic, self-involved personality I've ever seen. And and she's not trying to be a heel or anything. She just seems very, very uh, self-centered. 
And, uh, you know what, maybe that's what you, you can make that argument for a lot of people on a lot of platforms on a lot of levels, but I don't know. Um, just, just an observation. And maybe somebody takes it differently. She's just proud of herself or whatever. Like, and you know what, maybe she is a nice person, but, uh, she just comes off as extremely just kind of self, kind of self-involved and, and narcissistic. I, anyway, that's just what I take from her Instagram. I didn't know. And no one cares. No one asked for my take, but I gave it to you anyway, but she does a nice job on TV and her and Paul Heyman have a nice chemistry together. Of course they do. Uh, so, um, but, uh, all right, well, the interview she did was with Gunther. I think I pronounced that right. Gunther. I said that I believe correct. Let me say it one more time. Gunther. Yep. Uh, and Ludwig, who was there just to take another beating, who because the loss that Ludwig uh, suffered last week to Shinsuke was uh, it angered Gunther again, and he told Gunther to, or he told Ludwig to take off his top. Or zip down his whatever, uh, you know, it sounds bad. I didn't mean to put it like that. He basically wanted to chop up again, so he slapped him hard again across the chest. And uh, you know, he had Gunther say that he there, there's no room for weakness, that there's no room for uh, for losing, and Ludwig took a punishment again. And now next week, Ludwig gets a rematch against Shinsuke again. So it's going to be interesting to hear if or to see if uh, Gunther is disappointed in Ludwig again. I hope that this team stays together, I got to say. Um, and it also it adds it adds definite credibility or it adds um, a layer of character development to both guys here. Like, I, I really enjoy this. And I hope that, again, this is not a part of a breakup. No one wants to see that right now. So, OK, let's see here. Aaliyah versus Lacey Evans didn't really happen and neither did drew mcintyre and sheamus again didn't happen I, it just makes no sense here Aliyah and lacey evans okay so lacey evans comes out Aliyah just the most stereotypical happy-go-lucky i'm just happy to be here Aliyah has the worst personality at least uh that you the most generic i should say generic personality that you could ever have and that, that wwe anytime anybody brings them up then they don't know what to do with them. They just go, oh, well, I'm happy to be here. It's so great. Gosh, gee, golly. You know, it's it's just, it's too much for me. So Lacey Evans comes out and doesn't get the reaction that she wanted. And she runs us down again. And and she talks about how I serve this country for people like you. And that, uh, you know, she was, she, she makes her sick that, you know, we're not cheering for her. And I poured my heart out and that, uh, you know, basically she apologized and then we booed her apology and she told us once again, we can all go to hell. Um, I like it. This is, this is fine. This is better than her last heel gimmick. Definitely fine with me. And I think it's hilarious that they're chairing, booing somebody that says they're an American hero or American. Uh, they defended America and we're booing her and that, you know, Lacey Evans is a very accomplished woman. I mean, that's all true. I believe everything she said was true in those promos. And I don't know if originally it was designed for this doll to be heelish. I don't think it was. But this is this is good. And again, very accomplished woman on top of being a mother and a wife and uh, you know, served in the military. And she she's she is uh, you can tell an actual strong woman. You can you could from a mental, physical, emotional standpoint. So. All right. Well, then we got Drew McIntyre in his ring in the ring with Sheamus, or though so we thought it uh, was supposed to be once again for an undisputed 
championship shot at Clash of the Castle, presumably against Roman Reigns. And we did another bait and switch as McIntyre gave away his spot, or rather Sheamus gave away his spot to the uh, fridge, as they're calling him now, uh, which is kind of weird. Like they're, they're calling Ridge the fridge, Ridge Holland. I don't know. It's fine with me, but that's what this was. And Sheamus again gives it up and McIntyre wins the match against Ridge Holland. But why? What? Okay. I said this last week with Butch. It made no sense. He gave it up last week and told, you know, again, he suddenly he's the one making the matches. How does he have the power to make it when we've heard time and again from Adam um, Pierce that it's he him. He makes the matches. And all of a sudden, Sheamus has the authority to switch a major matchup like this. And if it's being switched, why should Sheamus, or rather, why should Drew be penalized for it by not making the match for the, the opportunity to face the uh, undisputed champion at Clash of the Castle? And, and why is Sheamus giving up this opportunity time and again? What is he waiting for? What, I know they try to push the narrative, oh, they're trying to soften him up. Yeah, well, th- that's not how you do it. You soften them up by doing a three-on-one beatdown backstage before the match or the, the week before. Not by having Drew just easily plow through his henchmen. I know they're building to it, and I also understand that they can't do it too soon because Class at the Castle is after SummerSlam, and they can't really overlook SummerSlam too much. I mean, that is one of their biggest pay-per-views they have all year, so they can't just gloss over it and start talking about the main event of Clash at the Castle. But get it out of the way. Like, what what are we waiting for? It, it makes no sense, again, from a creative standpoint. If Sheamus is giving up his opportunity, then he's forfeiting it, and Drew wins. You can't have stand-ins. That's not how this works. It's bizarre. And you would think that he'd want this opportunity. Why is he pawning it off? I don't know. It's very weird. Very weird. So once again, they get, they advertise a match that doesn't happen, but I'd imagine next week it does, as he's now gone through his two henchmen. Just not good. Not good, I gotta say. So Mad Cat Moss versus Theory. We talked about something that was good. This was really good. Now, it ended in a disqualification, but I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that because this match was so good that it didn't matter. And it made sense because Theory couldn't put away Mad Cat Moss, so he used the briefcase as a weapon. This was really good. This, I mean, this was a really good match. Um, yeah, I'd give it like a, you know, out of 10, like a seven and a half, eight out of 10. Really good. And yeah, I'd love to see these two in another, uh, in a rematch, maybe at a pay-per-view even. And, you know, Moss is starting to get a pretty good reaction from the crowd. Um. I'm looking at Bleacher Report and right now I kind of bounce back and forth between some of the wrap-ups. They're saying, I think Bleacher Report has a little bit of over, overdone here. The Moss, this is according to them, Moss has graduated or gradually developed into a red-hot babyface who wins crowds over and then has them firmly in his corner by the end of the match. Yeah, I, Okay, I don't know what their definition of red-hot babyface is. That's not Mad Cat Moss. He's a babyface in the making. He's a babyface that has to struggle to get the crowd to cheer for him. Red hot means you're over. Mad Cat Moss ain't over yet. 
I don't know who wrote this, but sorry, Bleacher Report. That that's a inaccurate description. No matter how you measure <laughs> red hot, what? <laughs> okay. Anyway, this was good though. This was a really good matchup. Again, I'd love to see it again. And again, Paul Heyman before the match was trying to coerce Mad Cat Moss into doing business with him. Mad Cat Moss turned him down. And uh, but the the good the, the take the takeaway is that Mad Cat Moss continues to show you he can put on really good matches. And yes, the crowd is in his corner by the end of the match. And he brings you in that way because his personality isn't exactly super deep, but his in-ring work is his cornerstone right now. His in-ring work is what is saving him. On top of his physique, of course, his physique is, in, is incredibly good. Theory is already proven that he can go in the ring with anybody. And it, this was really good. It, it was like two guys that know they're up and coming. They're about at the same level, although Theory is clearly you know ahead of Moss in terms of storyline getting over that kind of thing. But it's two guys that like went backstage and like, hey, we're young guys. We're up and coming. Let's show everyone what we can do <clears throat> with the time we have. It, it's clear that they wanted to maximize their minutes here, and they did. So credit to both guys, even if it was a DQ. <clears throat> the DQ, DQs are okay. DQs are fine when they're used in the right way. This was used in the right way. So uh, we had, uh, let's see here, Angelo Dawkins versus Jimmy Uso. How about that for a kind of a lame main event? I'm sorry, that sound, doesn't that sound like a lame main event? I, I don't know. I, I I saw the main event. I'm like, that's the main event. That that Angelo Dawkins versus Jimmy Uso is the main event. I, I mean, I'm like, okay, that that's like a mid middle of the card matchup at best. I mean, in tag teams, of course, they put on an amazing matchup at Money in the Bank, and I'm sure they will as well at SummerSlam. But come on, uh, anyway. Sami Zayn, the honorary Oos, joined Michael Cole and Pat McAfee at the commentary position. <clears throat> and um, this match was uh, pretty rushed. It didn't last very long, which I'm not complaining about. But uh, the ending saw a woozy Charles Robinson score the pin or uh, count the three after Dawkins hit sky high. But Uso's, Jimmy Uso's shoulder was up off the mat. Charles Robinson didn't see it and he got the three count. So both guys have claims to say that, Hey, I wasn't really beaten. My shoulder was off the mat. And uh, so after the match, Adam Pierce came out and revealed the special referee saying that it's clear. We need a special referee. Well, first of all, why would, if, if it's clear you need a special referee, why would you say you need a special referee ahead of time before before you knew there was going to be controversy in this match. I mean, and also if there's if, if you need a referee to make sure that things go down the way they should and that's a trained referee is, you know, that th they have gone through extensive training, why would you bring up somebody as a special guest referee? Special guest refers to amateur. Like you, you don't do this. You're just kind of you're you're like us doing a celebrity shot in beer pong. I'm dating myself. Anybody hope hope that's still a relevant term, but you're you're going out there essentially doing something you don't normally do and hope you do a good job at it. So Adam Pierce's argument to say that after the result tonight, the controversial result, it's clear we need a special referee. Uh, yeah, by bringing in someone that has that has what like 
a handful, maybe, I don't even know, maybe never, of, of uh, matches under his belt, refereeing, you know, officiating a match. You're telling me that bringing in somebody that never does it ever is a great way to ensure that all the rules are followed? <laughs> Just, what? But fine, it's Jeff Jarrett? What? There's another what for you. I, I don't, I have nothing against Double J. I remember him in WWF at the time. I remember a lot of that. I remember Jeff Jarrett in uh, WWF. And right when Stone Cold was getting hot, heading into the Rumble of 1997, I remember that. That was all fun and games. Um, you know, but I know he's had Global Force Wrestling, all that, and he's got a hell of a lot of stories to tell. And he, you know, but Jeff Jarrett, what has he got to do with anything? Are they going to actually try to make an angle out of this? It's weird. Out of all people, Jeff Jarrett, very bizarre. But the show ended in a brawl, a pull-apart brawl between both tag teams. And that's it. Um, now, Sami Zayn did come out. He said, he have a, I have a history of shoulder injuries. And so that was um, funny. I, I love how he's still referring to himself as the honorary ooze. That's kind of entertaining. So... Uh, let's see. So that, that pretty much covered SmackDown. Now, on Monday Night Raw, Ziggler, of course, made his debut, re-debut, or surprise main event appearance, take your pick, to take out Austin Theory. And there's no explanation for that. But I'd imagine on uh, Raw in two nights, or tomorrow night, that we will get some kind of an explanation from Ziggler, who presumably is a babyface. And... Let's see what else we got. Uh, Bobby and Riddle, Bobby Lashley and Riddle, who won their tag team match on Monday Night Raw because uh, Ziggler helped. Or um, no, he didn't. He no, no, Ziggler did help. Yeah, Ziggler was in that matchup. I'm sorry, I'm getting all mixed up. But uh, let's see what else happened. Um, I don't know. Oh, Brock Lesnar destroys the Alpha Academy. That was a thing. Finn Balor defeated Rey Mysterio. Carmella defeated Bianca Belair via countout after Becky distracted her at ringside and uh, Becky was demanding a title match. AJ Styles and Ezekiel defeats The Miz and Champa via disqualification. Alexa Bliss and Asuka defeat Nikki, ASH, and Dewdrop after Nikki was hit with a DDT. The Usos and Omas defeat the Street Profits and R-Truth via pinfall. And then Riddle and Lashley defeat Rollins in theory after Riddle hit theory with an RKO. So that was Monday Night Raw. Not a huge week in terms of star power. I mean, yes, Brock was there this past week on Monday and destroyed the Alpha Academy, which is always fun to see Brock beat up like huge men. Like the way he tosses big men around is so fun to watch. Uh, but, you know, it, it, no, no Roman Reigns. I talked about that at the beginning of the show. That's a tough pill to swallow. And, yeah, there's your main event right there. Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar. Now, we all know the outcome of this match. What makes me most interested is how does this end? I'd imagine Theory is still involved. But yeah, we'll have to see if the WWE drops any hints the next couple of weeks, what they do, because not, no, you know, not having Roman as champion going to Clash of the Castle against Drew doesn't make sense. Brock versus Drew at Clash of the Castle doesn't make sense. Uh, Brock, or rather, Theory versus Drew at Clash of the Castle makes no sense. It has to be Drew and Roman. Roman somehow, some way, crawls out of SummerSlam as champion, like by the skin of his teeth. Again, comes out as 
champion. So that's how I think SummerSlam ends. I don't think we'll see anything from The Rock. Um, you know, I even I even speculated about that. Like, okay, Roman somehow, even if Theory cashes in, somehow retains. Maybe there's a new member of the bloodline, something like that. And then The Rock comes out and just you know, just teases WrestleMania. But then you have Drew facing Roman at Clash at the Castle. And people are going to be like, oh, well, I want Rock and and, uh, and Roman. You know, I, I love I like Drew, but it's going to it really would pour cold water on Drew's momentum by having the Rock come out to kind of overshadow that match that'll happen between Rock and Roman at, at WrestleMania. That's why I don't think it'll happen. I think if the Rock comes out, it'll be SummerSlam or rather uh, Survivor Series or maybe even Rumble or something like that. So if we get it at all, but uh, certainly an interesting week in terms of the, the story about a potential TV 14 rating for Monday Night Raw and SmackDown coming up. Of course, Brock being on Monday Night Raw is fun. And, uh, you know, hey, the uh, the New Day continue their their antics. That's uh, kind of the big stories of the week. So everybody, thank you so much for listening, guys. This is the WWE podcast. We do podcasts almost every single day. And I do appreciate you guys listening. We have ad free options at patreon.com slash WWE podcast. We have uh, ad free options on our website at WWE podcast.com and on Apple podcasts at uh, our, our ad free button right on the home page. So that is it for me this week in the week in review. I appreciate everybody for listening. I'll be back hopefully Monday night. I'm actually home alone guys. My wife is on a bachelorette trip to Nashville. So I'm sitting home while she's uh, you know, enjoying her her luxury time away while I, I'm squeaking in a podcast while the kids are sleeping uh, because I won't have time in the coming days. But uh, yeah, so whew, all right. Thanks everybody for listening. As always, take care. I'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to the WWE podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a show or head to wwepodcast.com. And for all of these shows ad-free, head over to patreon.com slash WWE podcast. Until then, we'll see you next time.